Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, episode 86. Learn your audience, be an effective communicator and an expert in the field where you're working. And two is um, diversify your resume and have some experience and education and at least at a minimum interest in being more than a coach. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. Today, our guest is Bryce Long, a member of our tactical strength and conditioning community, a former firefighter and fire department training officer. He is the director of human performance experience at O2X. Bryce, welcome. Hi. Yeah. Hi, Eric. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Excited to chat today. Um, so I want to get right into your background and just kind of hear what led you into coaching and talk about your path into the field. Yeah, absolutely. I, as you mentioned, I was a firefighter in the Northern Virginia area. And um, before that, I had always been into training and, and just generally interested in, in being in good shape. Um, in college, I had a lot of friends. I wasn't, I was a high school athlete, but didn't play sports in college. Did have a lot of friends that were into training and we were early followers of, uh, I guess, the, uh, the CrossFit, you know, website, but it was just a website. Um, you know, it was more blog at that point. And, and we just liked being in good shape. Um, so that passion started then. And then as I got into the firefighting space, fitness really became a necessary function of what I did for a living. Um, and in the, in the fire department, a lot of the traditional path to being the wellness person for the agency was just being in good shape. You know, that was really the only qualifier for being looked to for guidance in the space for a lot of times the department at large. And I found myself after I got out of the academy pretty quickly serving in that role in, in, in unofficial capacity. A lot of uh, people knew that I was into training and into working out on shift and would come to me for advice and guidance. And I, I guess I just didn't have the background to feel confidently in, in what I was recommending, what I was suggesting. You know, for me, for a long time, being uneducated um, in my youth, more was more. And the more training you did, the harder you worked, the better it was. And I would say now for, for anyone listening to this, taking notes, write that down. That's a bad idea, right? Like just working out for six hours a day, every day, because you can think you're getting better is, is not the way to go about it. So what did I do is I looked for mentors in the area. Um, it's interesting that part of the country, particularly in the fire department world is rapidly developing and in, in and around the DC area, the, a lot of, DC sprawl has begun to reach out into the surrounding communities and the agencies are quickly staffing up people and, and there's a lot of youth in the departments and a lot of passion um, and a lot of resources uh, because with that expansion comes funding. So there were some agencies around that had more developed fitness programs than where I was working and I found, I found some mentors. I reached out to, to people that were much more accomplished in the space and Pick their brains. Um, I was fortunate to meet a gentleman named Carl Shepard, um, who was at the time working in Fairfax County, Virginia. And he threw me the NSCA essentials textbook and said, here it is. Here, here's the answer to your question. Um, so I, I dug into that and, and a little bit of guidance from him 
prepared myself for the CSCS examination. And that was my, my pathway into um, more of a formalized you know, approach to the, to the strength and conditioning world. That's great. Um, you know, a lot of our listeners come from the college strength and conditioning um, setting and, and working specifically with sports. And I think with the growth of tactical strength and conditioning, I want to ask you, uh, speak to the physical demands of uh, being a firefighter and just the value of training and strength and conditioning for, for that profession. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a couple key differences right out of the gate. One of them is just career longevity. Athletes, even athletes that have long careers, don't even come close to the continued operational demands of someone in the public safety profession. Most fire departments, you know, 25, 30 years before someone retires. So that's, that's a lot of abuse and a lot of changes happen to the human body through that time. There's a lot of time to make mistakes. There's a lot of time to recover, but no matter how you look at it, there's just a lot of time. So injury prevention and durability need to be key tenants of of any program. Um, There's also a, a cultural competence that we need to be aware of. And that's a lot of the people in those positions were high school, college, some, I had people when I ran the academy that were professional athletes that decided to be firefighters. Um, but a lot of folks aren't, you know, they've, they've transitioned from more sedentary type jobs or it's their first job out of high school or college and they don't have the athletic background. So you're dealing with a, a really wide variety of people with diverse backgrounds and various training ages. So you have to be sensitive to that, I think, and look for programming solutions um, that, that can be effective across that, that wide section of people. The job itself, to, to answer your question more specifically, is extraordinarily physically demanding at times and extraordinarily not at others. Um, you don't get a lot of warning, as with most tactical professions when when the bell's going to ring when the alarm's going to go off when the call's going to come in across the the police radio it's it's time to go when it's time to go so the more that you can encourage people to prepare for that unexpected by controlling what they can when they can i think is a, is a good message to pass along to uh, to the folks that are in those jobs because they is a frequent argument that I've, I've battled in my in my time in this space as well. I don't get to warm up. I don't get to train. I don't get to stretch before the, the house fire call comes in at 3 a.m. Why, you know, why do I need to do that? Or I've, my grandfather was a firefighter and my father was a firefighter and they never, they never worked out and they did the job for 30 years smoking marble reds the whole time. Why should I do this? Why should I look at myself any different? And the reality is the, a lot of those folks that, that had those jobs and didn't take care of themselves, they don't, they don't see much of their retirement. Or if they do, they're, they're nursing a lot of injuries and, and there's still the leading cause. The statistics were released last week and still the leading cause for firefighter deaths or cardiac-related incidents. Um, so it's really tough to dispute the need for physical preparation to do the job well. Um, 
from a, in a more specific sense, the, the job is very interval based. I think for most urban fire departments, it's brief bouts of intense activity lasting anywhere from 10 seconds to two or three minutes. And then you usually get a little bit of a break, um, but shifts in oftentimes last 24 hours. And there are times that you're called upon to demonstrate just pure, absolute high end strength. You got to pick up a 210 pound firefighter that's covered in soaking wet gear up to your chest to get him or her out of a window. That's, that's a big lift that needs to happen really fast. So talk a lot about covering all of our different energy systems through training because while 60% of the job is probably that, you know, more middle of the road interval based operations, you pull a fire hose off of a fire engine and you stretch it to the front of a building, it might take you a minute and you get a, you get a second, you get a breather, you're going to put your face piece on, your officer's going to do a lap around the building and survey the scene and then you're going to charge the hose and you're going to take it into the building and you're going to advance it. That might take you another minute. They're going to flow some water. You get another breather. There are other elements that are equally demanding of higher end and lower end energy systems. It's just tremendous diversity, I guess, is what I'm getting at here. Um, yeah, that was a really great breakdown. Um, we recently had members of our long-term athlete development special interest groups on the podcast and, you know, LTAD um, really breaks down training over the lifespan um, but it, we tend to think of it only with regard to youth, you know, training youth athletes um, up through high school. Um, and, and I know my background in professional sports, training for career longevity, like you're talking about, there's really um, great takeaways from the LTAD message. And um, it's really, it really relates to how we define athletes. You know, um, I think there is a, there is a voice out there of everybody's an athlete You know, everybody should have some level of physical competence and being able to sustain that through the lifespan. There's so much value to that in any profession and just for overall health and well-being. And you really spoke to that. Well, um, with O2X, um, the first time I heard about O2X, it was uh, a program and a few articles that came out related to the Massachusetts national guard. Um, uh, can you talk about that program and just about the, um, role of O2X in helping, um, National Guard's, uh, members get ready for the ACFT, um, test with the change in the Army, uh, physical fitness test? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot there. I'm going to take a step back and, and maybe just explain a little bit about what O2X is and, who, you know, what we do as an organization. And then I can talk specifically about this. Work that we're doing with the Massachusetts National Guard. So we provide human performance training education for primarily tactical athletes, um, as, as we've covered. And our focus isn't prime isn't on one specific element, but really spread across the entire spectrum. We talk about conditioning, we talk about nutrition, sleep science, acute and chronic stress mitigation, uh, mental performance, and blending all of that together into a holistic program. We work almost exclusively with fire, police, military, federal agencies, um, because the tactical space is really, it's the background of a lot of the people that work within the industry. And I think that we have that, as I mentioned earlier, the importance of cultural competence. I think we really shine in, in that area. And 
are experts in delivering this critical message to a population that's previously been kind of underserved in that respect, but also are, are very skeptical by nature, rightfully so. Uh, so it's tough to, to bring new information to a group that um, can be a little bit standoffish at first, and that's fire, police, military. Um, and I think we navigate that well. So we have a, a team of about 150 human performance experts from all around the country that are SMEs in all of these various fields. They work for us on a contract basis, so they're you know, actively employed as special operations command strength conditioning coaches, as nutritionists at the Olympic Development Center. They're working uh, as researchers in the Army Sleep Lab. They have these very high-end peak of their career field jobs, and then they bring that knowledge and experience to us, and we're able to help some of these other fire, police, military units get access to those sorts of people. So we bring in these high-level specialists, and then we pair them with someone that has the practical and the tactical experience that was either you know, 24 years in the SEAL teams, or a Green Beret, or a firefighter with 15 years experience working in a big city to help connect the dots. So you may have a sleep scientist, a um, PhD expert in the field, researcher paired with a Navy SEAL that can listen to talk to a group of firefighters and say, hey, this is why what the doctor's telling you is important. These are the mistakes that I made throughout my career. These are the, these are the tips that you can use to be successful. So that, that formula has worked really well for us. A lot of that's delivered through in-person training education workshops where we'll have you know, a room full of these folks from different units and then our specialists come in and our team. Uh, we also follow that up with virtual, virtual support and screenings to create a more holistic image of how the kind of cross section of where the agency is and then front load with the education and follow it up with, we have a mobile app and a textbook and a website with a resource portal. Um, and then another element of our program, which I'll use to segue into the guard discussion is that we are getting into staff and full-time human performance specialists on site in these different agencies. Um, the Massachusetts National Guard, we've partnered with them to help build out their, what they're calling their Warrior Fit program, which is a multi-tiered approach to improving the retention, resilience, um, and readiness of their force. That's their, that's their big initiative in the human performance space. So as, as part of that program, uh, we have a full-time exercise scientist that's working within the National Guard in Massachusetts. And she's Dr. Meg Garvey, she's fantastic. Um, and she's serving as part practitioner and part program manager to help implement this broad sweeping program across these 5,000 members of the Massachusetts National Guard. We're also delivering our first ones coming up in a couple of weeks. We're very excited about it. We had to, we had to move some dates around uh, as a result of what went on in the world in the spring, but we're, we're getting back on track now. We'll be doing our first in-person workshop for a cohort of 100 service members that have been selected by their units uh, to attend this, this hands-on workshop. And it's three drill weekend workshops over the course of three months. So we'll be doing July, August, and September. And through the, the course of that, they'll be getting exposure to our specialists across that entire spectrum that I just mentioned. We'll be bringing in sleep scientists and conditioning experts and injury prevention specialists and physical therapists, um, mental performance, sports psychs, and, and all of the, the like to 
work with these soldiers on, again, targeting those, those three big goals of the Guard. Um, an additional function of those three weekends is helping these soldiers prepare for the transition from the Army physical fitness test to the Army combat physical fitness, or the Army combat fitness test, excuse me, which is a, an Army-wide initiative across active duty reserve and Guard forces where they're transitioning from this really traditional fitness testing, sit-ups, push-ups in a two-mile run to a much more dynamic and a lot of people would argue functional fitness assessment, the Army combat fitness test. So the movements are more complex, the assessment is more dynamic, and it's um, kind of scary for a lot of these folks because it's new, right? So during these, these weekend workshops, we're going to be helping this cohort um, learn the movements and understand the science behind it and develop train holistic training that will help prepare them to pass this new assessment when it's when it's implemented by the army uh, we've also been doing with the guard uh, mobility assessment screenings consultations with a physical therapist and body composition analysis as part of the physical health assessments that the army does every year. So we've been going to these PHAs and setting up an O2X excuse me, uh, station and rotating service members through to receive this really valuable feedback from three different assessments on our end and then receiving some specific action steps to make improvements in any one of those areas. The other thing I'll, I'll add to this is that it's really exciting this initiative because across the nation, our work with the Massachusetts National Guard is really being looked at as a pilot program. So there's all of these different health of the force initiatives taking place across the US and this, this one in Massachusetts is, is impactful and looks to be the front runner. So we're hopeful that the, the success that we're having this year and what will be next year um, will turn into a much larger initiative across the force because talk about a group that's tough to work with to, to go back to your initial point they they being the national guard they have so many challenges because they're they're such a just you know they're so geographically dispersed across the state they only have so much contact with their unit and then everyone has a day job right so that's 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 a tough balance to find and we're hopeful that the resources that we're providing them will help give them some more tools to navigate that um, that process there, there's been so much growth in the tactical strength and conditioning um, space, and um, what you said really speaks to that. Um, the ACFT is really a huge step forward in terms of physical preparation, transitioning from a, uh, a test of basically push-ups, sit-ups, and long-distance running, which in, in the sport world, we've transitioned away from those types of assessments, and it's, um, you know, now looking into the tactical space um, there, it just really gives a lot of value to having a strength and conditioning coach and someone with our knowledge and background working with tactical athletes. Um, Bryce, if you would talk about sort of this progression of tactical careers and just the growth of the tactical strength and conditioning profession um, through, you know, in your time uh, working in the field. Sure. Yeah, it's, it is exciting. Um, and there's, there's tremendous white space. You know, as I mentioned, a lot of these agencies and commands and departments are shifting from the more 
traditional thought process of the fittest guy in the room is, is, is who everyone looks to for guidance. And it's, it's a failed model and it's really not fair. You know, I've been in that position personally where I, I was in, it was in shape, but beyond that, I really wasn't qualified to give anyone <laughs> any sort of you know, instruction or guidance. And, and people would ask me complex questions and the expectation of where I worked was that I had the answers and it's just not fair. So as we take tactical strength conditioning and we really start to open it up as a, as a career path and a need, it's, it's extraordinarily um, exciting. And, and there's just, there's great opportunity. There's, you know, you look at the higher level benefits from a leadership perspective and, and focusing on some of these more refined uh, dynamic protocols and practices, you're, you're going to see cost reduction and injury savings. You're going to see fewer people off work. You're going to see uh, less injuries and the lower healthcare costs, costs across the board. At O2X, we've been able to help some of the agencies really quantify a savings that they've been seeing by implementing a program like ours and bringing in some professional subject matter experts to deliver deliver the education and to implement the programs because as you know like being an expert in this field it takes education it takes years of experience it's not a it's not anything a firefighter is going to do in a weekend course and be able to to deliver that in an impactful way um, so helping the the higher level folks that are primarily focused on rightfully so it's their job on budgeting and funding and safe cost savings we can appeal to them and then we can help carry the message to the men and women on the floor as well because they're more effective they're happier they're healthier um, and they're you know, more likely to enjoy a retirement after after their 20 30 year career comes to a conclusion um, i think that we'll see more and more resources being dedicated within agencies and departments and within the federal government to these initiatives. Um, and I, I think that there's going to be a lot of, a lot of opportunities to work in the space as the, as the, as it grows, right. As it becomes a priority for more of these agencies, we've, we've seen that with a lot of the, the groups that we work with. And I mentioned that O2X has a full-time you know, staffing initiative that we're placing professionals within agencies. And it's because a lot of these groups are, understanding that they have this need, but they, they don't necessarily know how to fill it. So they look to an organization like O2X, who's an expert in the space to help them put someone there that they know will do a good job. Um, but we're also shifting away to from, if I speak to the, the basic training level, um, where I have a decent experience, I had the opportunity to work in the Recruit Academy space and to, to organize and really revamp a program when I was there, it was really special to me and I got tons of experience doing it. And as I traveled around now with OXWAX and see other organizations, basic training, I've noticed that there's almost an emotional response um, in a lot of ways at the basic training level to the way we've always done it. And it's, it's uh, I guess it's, you want everyone to have the same experience, right? You want, I did it this way and I want the, the future recruits to have this exact same, they, I survived, they should, they should survive the same, the same challenges, right? But for years, basic training academy PT was doing push 
push-ups until the instructor gets tired of watching you do push-ups and running until you can't run any further, right? And it, it's not necessarily functional training. And when we talk about physical fitness testing, shifting from something like the APFT to the CFT, or looking at the way a fire department does their you know, physical assessment, we're getting rid of some of that inertia, you know, some of that resistance to change from the way that things have been and understanding that the job demands are, should more closely match the testing that we're using to assess people for those roles. A fire department, for example, you know, a lot of academies and the one that I was involved with previously had, a, I think it was a two mile run assessment, which if you look at the, the job requirements of your average urban firefighter, there's not a time when and that's an accurate assessment for the job demands. We, we dialed that back to an 800 meter run, which was a much smarter, I think, um, protocol for testing how fit these individuals are to do the job. It's also easier to train for, and it's a more, you know, protocols that train for success at 800 meters have a more direct application for firefighting than do the ones that train you for a competitive two mile time. But there was a lot of pushback um, from some folks that had had to run a two mile test in their academy and didn't, they wanted everyone else to have that. So, you know, we just need to look at it as smarter. And I think we're getting there. And it's, it's like I said, it's really exciting to see. And that's why companies like O2X are around is because this, the tide is turning and the tactical strength and conditioning space is really developing into a career path. And I, I get to talk to people all the time that are looking for jobs in the tactical space. And it's exciting because we're seeing more and more opportunities for folks that want to work with firefighters and police officers and service members. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah. It is great. Uh, you, you speak well to the, the challenges in working with a different population than, than most strength coaches maybe intend to work with or, or plan to work with on the front end of their careers. Um, you know, in your view, working with tactical, uh, tactical strength coaches, what uh, makes a strength and conditioning coach successful? Sure, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I think particularly in the tactical space, I could, I could say two things. Uh, one would be to learn your audience and become an expert communicator. Um, you're, you're entering into a world that is not traditionally embraced, formalized strength and conditioning. So being able to effectively message what we're doing, why we're doing it, and the expected outcomes is extraordinarily important. And learning as much as possible about the specific demographic with which you're going to be working is also key. If you're gonna be working with firefighters, you need to take the time to understand what, it, what the mechanics are for throwing a 24-foot extension ladder, for stretching an inch and three-quarter hose line from a fire engine, uh, forcing a door. You need to know, you need to know the lingo, you need to know how much bunker gear weighs, you need to understand the nuance of breathing with a respirator on uh, SCBA, which is a whole different ball game for a lot of these, a lot of these folks, and really dive deep into the into the background of the, the area in which you want to focus. Um, same goes for working with the military. You know, if you, you need to know what a rock is, you need to understand what the requirements are of the unit that you're working with specifically. Whereas the difference between job demands of an infantry unit and a 
military police unit and a special operations unit, all have very different skill sets and different deployments, and different workups, and thus different training. Um, and they all speak a little bit differently. So you know, we try and O2X we try and be sensitive to how we message things is slightly different for law enforcement, for military, and for fire, based on that cultural competence of what will resonate well with each one of those units. Further still, the job requirements of a patrol officer versus a detective versus a tactical officer serving warrants every night at 3 a.m. are very different. So without that understanding of the space, without being a student of the population you wish to serve, it's going to be very difficult to be successful. I think you can learn a ton of the fundamentals working in a, in a sports specific weight room and a lot of the concepts that make you successful there will translate to the tactical space, but the communication is going to be, is going to be very different. Um, and the focus is going to be very different because we're dealing with folks again, back to durability, longevity, their careers are much longer and their off seasons don't exist. And it's just different. Um, so you know, that's, that's one thing that we do uh, at O2X when we, we bring on new on-site specialists is we make sure that we're doing a good job of indoctrinating them into the, the focus area where they're going to be working and understanding you know, the terminology and uh, the best way to apply the education and the experience that they already have to this new group. Um, I promised you two. <laughs> that, was, that was number one. It was long. <laughs> number two, I would say uh, specifically, if you, if you want to work in the tactical community, is to seek uh, diversity in your own skill set. There aren't a lot of jobs um, that are just coaching in the tactical space. We're seeing O2X is seeing a lot of opportunities for people to be program managers and to be program builders, essentially, as these organizations are starting new initiatives and they're bringing on O2X and our, our team to help them help them do that. So we're, we're going to be, I'm going to have a harder time, put a, the recruiting hat on here for a second, we're going to be harder, have a harder time finding an opportunity for someone that just wants to be a coach in a tactical space. I just want to go in the weight room and I want to live there all day and I want to watch athletes lift and correct form and develop programming. And that, that's an integral part of the job, but it's oftentimes much more than that. And I think for the right person, that sort of opportunity is, is fascinating. For the wrong person, it's terrifying, which is totally fine. But if a young coach is looking to get into the tactical space, I would look to get some experience and some education and find a mentor that can provide you with some guidance on how to take on the other equally challenging parts of the job that are inevitably going to be there. Uh, and that's the, the program management and the, the leaning forward and looking for ways to, to better serve athletes and also bringing in all of the other essential components to being a healthy, well person. I think getting into the tactical space in particular with uh, maybe in the, more in the public safety sector, like the fire and police officers that have traditionally had a ton of exposure to this, you need to create buy-in. And how we do that 
at O2X is we offer resources across the entire spectrum. And why, while at first contact, you may not make significant impact with one individual preaching strength and conditioning, the sleep science may really resonate with him and her, him or her, or the nutrition may clear up some misconceptions and energy levels through the roof because they've stopped trying intermittent fasting or whatever they came into the room working on. Um, that leads to progress in other aspects. So eat better, sleep better, feel better. Maybe I, I get into training with my crew uh, once a shift, you know, where previously I would have been asleep in the recliner. Um, so bringing all of that together and a lot of the roles that we're seeing in the tactical space, we don't, these organizations aren't, aren't filling out comprehensive human performance facilities with one expert in every field. O2X is putting a person in there that has a specialty, but is the, the competence and the ability to call upon our other resources because it's, it's like a one person show for a while. And hopefully we, we get into human performance centers and every fire department, with 10 people there. It's just not the reality now. So um, to summarize, learn your audience, be an effective communicator and an expert in the field where you're working and Two is um, diversify your resume and have some experience and education and at least at a minimum interest in being more than a coach because the, the tactical space requires, requires it. Yeah, so when I started in the field, tactical strength and conditioning, that, that term didn't really exist. And um, the NSCA pours a lot of resources um, with uh, Nate Palin and Mandy Nice, our, our tactical staff. They do a great job in supporting the tactical community. What are some ways that the NSCA can continue to support the growth of tactical strength and conditioning? And what, what are the needs in the field right now that we can, we can step up and try to make this um, even better for the future? Yeah, I think so far the NSCA has done a great job in providing a resource and, a, and support for what is a developing career field. And I think that continuing to view it as that, as a developing and important career field is essential uh, to continue success. Continuing to encourage young coaches and new folks to seek meaningful certifications and proper education and training and push them into opportunities in the tactical space. I think looking for ways to support internship opportunities and you know, exposure into the tactical space is, is huge because we've gotten some of our best performers um, that are now awesome tactical strength conditioning program manager professionals had an internship in a tactical space while they were in college, you know, and that's, that's where they got some good experience pretty quick. And again, you have to be a pretty dynamic person to walk into that because your internship might be with a small agency and, and you're, you're the resource, right? You're, you're still in school and you're, you're kind of it. Um, so if there are ways that the, the NSCA or the organizational structure that it has can support and encourage young aspiring coaches to get into those roles. Um, it's tremendous experience and it, it really makes them an appealing candidate for an organization like O2X because you have the, you have a little bit of the, we know that you 
talk the talk, at least walking in the door and, and you have the training and the experience. Um, the conferences are great. Driving innovation in the space is fantastic and continuing to organize people across the entire spectrum for consolidation of ideas and what's working, what's not working, keeping the conversation moving. Um, I think that cross-pollination across different tactical, you know, we have an on-site performance specialist with O2X at the Massachusetts National Guard, and we have one at Boston Fire, and they do tons, they're pretty close in geographic proximity, but tons of idea sharing between the two. And while the groups could not be more different uh, on a job day-to-day -day level, there's actually an interesting lot of overlap. There's some BFD members that are in the Guard, which has been fun for us, but um, a lot of the effective tactics that Dr. Garvey's using um, with the Guard will also work at BFD and vice versa. So I think just encouraging that sharing of ideas and, and lessons learned is also an effective way to support the, the field. That's great. Um Bryce, how can our listeners connect with you? Sure. So O2X is easy to find. Our website is uh, www.o2x.com. Um, we are on social media, LinkedIn. Instagram is at O2X Human Performance, O2X Human Performance on LinkedIn. We have um, a mobile app coming out in hopefully about a month. And if uh, folks would like to subscribe for updates on that, it's o2x.com slash app and drop your email in there and we'll update you as that gets closer. And that the goal there is to, to bring a lot of the resources that we've been providing to agencies on a larger scale into a consolidated package that's more accessible to individuals. Um, really focused on behavior change and, and actionable steps that people can do to, to follow our eat, sweat, drive methodology. So. That's very exciting, and I would encourage folks to uh, to sign up for that. And my email is Bryce B R I C E at o2x.com, and I'm, I'm happy to to respond to emails and, and chat with anyone that's interested in learning more about O2x or the opportunities with our full time program, or really in any way I can be helpful with with getting into the, the tactical conditioning space. Bryce Long, Director of Human Performance Experience at O2X in Situate, Massachusetts. Uh, Bryce, thanks for being on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's fun. For our listeners, thanks for tuning in. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Sornex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. And if you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about the NSCA Strength and Conditioning Certifications, you can get all the details at nsca.com slash certification. Thank you for listening to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. We truly appreciate your support and wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you enjoy our episodes, please write us a review at iTunes or Google Play, wherever you download your episodes from. Also, be sure to subscribe so that you get these delivered to you every other week right on time. You can also go to NSCA.com and check out the episodes there. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.